The odds of someone who has a belief about God broken, staying a Christian is very slim. Because once the one domino falls, the rest will This happens to be one of the primary reasons that Grace Church exists. To be that place when people's dominoes begin to fall, to show them it's, it's okay that the domino fell. can always rebuild. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. Now, we start a new series here. Uh, start a new decade with a new series. Uh, for us, it's going to be a fun one. It's called Pretending is Believing. Pretending is, oh, that's terrific. I love that, Pastor Dan. Good job. Pretending is believing. Is he really flying into space or not? What's the difference? Do we even know? Now, uh, I plan to open this, this up more in the weeks to come. Uh, today's going to be kind of an intro level. We're going to touch it a little bit. But the basic idea is this. How do you believe anything? How does a human being come to a place where you believe a thing? So this morning, uh, I was getting ready, and of course, as kids do, kids tend to fight. I heard screaming and yelling, and I, you know, I was a great parent. Be quiet! I'm getting ready for church. Jesus, God, I'm going to beat you, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. And of course, Rachel comes in because she's the one who's not scared of me when I yell. She walks in with her finger and she said, Daddy, my thumb, boo-boo, kiss it. So I kissed it, of course. Oh, better. Thank you, Daddy. And she runs back to go fight again, right? Now, what is happening here, right? We are seeing a belief system, correct? There is a place inside her three-year-old mind where she has an idea that Whenever there is a pain in her body, if a parent kisses it, instantly healed. Amen, hallelujah, right? She's got better faith than any of us in the room, right? Most of you at some point in your life actually held this same belief, some form of it, right? That there could be healing instantly if this thing happened. If only I could touch the hem of the garment. That's in the Bible. Or if only daddy's lips would touch that thumb. Everything would be better, right? Now, it sounds silly to you, of course, right? You know, uh, we're all adults. That's silliness. If I were to fall off the stage and hurt my knee and I said, Mom, come on, come on. <laughs> what kind of response do you think I'm going to receive? It's not going to be healing, I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to be healing, right? Now, at some point in my life, I learned to stop asking for my parents to kiss boo-boos, okay? Um, I graduated to Band-Aids at some point, right? To uh, Neosporin, to the emergency room, to surgery, to doctors, to science. At some point, I believed that there were other things that would heal that boo-boo, right? But there was a place where I still believed that. So at what point in my life did I make a transition from a kiss to brain surgery, right? When do I make a switch where I no longer believe the kiss will heal me, now it's got to be a piece of steel cutting open my brain 
slicing and dicing, and somehow as they cut me and I bleed out on a table, I will be better when I wake up. Does that sound logical to you? Come on, this is silly. It makes no sense. Why do I believe that someone hurting me more will make me better? It makes no sense at all. That you're going to give me medicine that if I have it every day, it will kill me. But if I have it right now, it will help me. But to make sure to stop taking it when I leave the hospital. If not, I have to come back to the hospital for more medicine. Come on, wake up. This is all nonsense. Are you with me? This does not make sense to a logical mind. You say, no, these things don't add up. If this is poison, why does poison make me better? I don't understand. So at what point is there a shift inside of us? At what point do we stop believing in Santa Claus? A Jude, he's eight years old, very intelligent. He's very analytical. When he was about three years old, he had already figured out that Santa was a hoax because he had been asking probing questions to his friends. When they could not answer the questions, he realized these people are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. It's all the parents. It's a hoax. And then we had to like, teach our child, if you say a word at school, we will beat you, right? <laughs> you can't destroy their system of belief yet, right? It's not your job to do that, right? Will you do it, Daddy? Well, that's not the same, right? <laughs> that was funny. But Jude, uh, at school this year, they had this exercise where they wrote letters to Santa Claus. And guess what happened? He wrote back. And Jude has a problem now. He talked to me. (laughs) He's so upset by this. He's like, I put it in an envelope, sealed it. I watched it, Dad. I put it into the box. No one touched it. Three weeks later, comes back sealed with my name on it. And, And Santa speaks to the exact content I put into the letter. What do I do with this? And you could tell, like, he still wants to be cynical. No, I don't believe that Santa stuff. But on Christmas Eve, you could tell he's looking around. He's like, oh, you know. <laughs> there might be a chance there's reindeer on the roof. I don't know how to explain this, right? He had an experience. His experience made him question his beliefs, made him form new beliefs, right? With Rachel, there will be a day when her boo-boo or her scratch is too painful And that kiss from daddy or mama is not going to be enough. And she's going to put two and two together. Wait. When I get a really big boo-boo, is it just that daddy's kiss isn't strong enough? Or maybe his kiss never helped at all. (laughs) It was a lie. And this experience is going to make her search out the truth. And then she's not going to trust me anymore, right? I don't trust you at all. Uh, how about this, parents, if you guys have had, had kids and kids when you, were, when you guys were kids? When your parents would tell you, oh, the boo-boo, or how about this, the tick or the splinter? Those are like the two worst things when you're a child, right? Oh, this, this tick. Oh, it's no big deal. Come here, child. I'll take care of it. And of course, your child's thinking it's going to be a kiss or a hug, right? And then what happens? You sit them down where, where they can't escape, and then you bring out the what? Or the lighter. I had awesome parents. We're going to burn this sucker out. I'm waiting for the kiss of magic healing, and they bring, you know, a Bic lighter. This is going to fix it. You have to burn the ticks off or else the mouth's stuck in your skin. Come on. And then from that moment on, I didn't trust the thing they said about healing. I don't care what you say. I don't trust you. You're going to burn me. You're going to get tweezers out and tweeze me. I don't know why tweezers are so scary, but they are. 
And we have an experience, right? And this experience makes us realize that our belief in this area might not be right. We need to rethink this. We need to find out, okay, if this isn't what I thought it was, then maybe this isn't either. Now, most churches this morning have the best intentions. And they're even doing things that are very helpful at some stages of our life. But what, what most churches are doing this morning is trying to submit, trying to get you to stay in a place of believing what you've always believed. Stay there. Don't Don't question. Don't question. When that magic kiss comes, it will heal it, I promise. Because they know something. What they know is this. When one belief falls, it's only a matter of time before more fall. It's like dominoes. When, when all of a sudden the kid goes, wait, so maybe Santa didn't put the presents there. And who else did? And if Santa's not real, does that mean that elves aren't real? Did that reindeer of Fayville, does that thing even fly? Come on. You guys didn't see that, the square? Okay, whatever. There's a reindeer there, and it's the saddest looking animal you've ever seen in your life. Terrible. That thing's not flying anywhere. And if that doesn't happen, is there a North Pole? Are there elves there? Who makes the presents? Is it elves? Is it factories in China? And it goes on and on. So what happens if your one belief system, if this one thing cracks, what happens? In my faith system, growing up, it was the idea of faith healing. It was very similar to the idea of the kiss. And so anytime someone was sick, we had to make sure that there was an experience of healing in that moment. It had to stay, had to be strong, right? If that thing shifts, what else is going to happen? If we don't experience healing, what else are we going to have to question? And so in all of our different circles, we have things that we've been taught to, to hold firm to because if it, if it slips, something else could slip. If that thing gets questioned, something else could be questioned. Now, what's hidden in all of this is a more important thing for us to find. It's not important for us just to, to challenge things and to tear things up. That's not the goal here. I think the real goal in this is we need to figure out how we begin to believe in anything. How do we build belief in a thing or a person? How does this process even work? Now, what's awesome is this. On average, most people in this room, if you took, if you took all of us together, right? On average, you in this room have heard almost 15 years worth of sermons. Did you know that? Now, that's not including youth group or kids church, anything like that. We're talking adult Sunday morning services. We took all our ages, we averaged it together, we include trips to Branson and to the beach, blah, 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 right? On average, 15 years of sermons. Do you know how many minutes of talking about ideas about God you have heard? Over 24,000 minutes of your life, people have been talking at you about God. Now, here's the better question. How much do you remember? Come on. Now, I know my sermons rock. How many do you remember? <laughs> don't tell me. I'm going to assume it's all of them, right? But don't say a word. How many do you remember? How many scriptures have we read on a Sunday morning? How many do you remember? That's a very powerful question. 
The truth is, there might be three to five sermons that you remember from your entire life. Maybe, if you're really paying attention. Three to five sermons in your entire life that you could tell me what was preached and how it affected you. How sad is that? Three to five. Now, if your ideas about God are not coming from sermons, let's assume it comes from the Bible. How about that? Would that be safe? Okay. Oh, I shouldn't do this. Don't raise your hands. How many of you read the, the Bible for one hour this week? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't. Two hours? Three hours? Okay. Compare that. How many hours have you spent talking to random people? Don't raise your hand. How many hours watching news or TV shows, podcasts, radio, any other type of input? How many Bible verses do you remember? Now, please don't actually tell me that. I don't really want to know. I don't want to know. How much of the scriptures have you fully absorbed? If I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to explain to me the book of Genesis. What, is, what did you learn about God in the book of Genesis? Shoot. And then I want you to go beyond chapters 1 and 2. And then tell me the rest of Genesis. What else did you learn in Genesis? I have a few names, a few stories. How about this? I want you to summarize the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guess what? All four are different. I want you to tell me what's different between all four of the Gospels. Can you tell me what each story tells you about who God is? And of course, most of us can't do that. That's okay. And so if our ideas about God aren't coming directly from the Bible, if they're not coming directly from these awesome sermons that we've received, then where do these things that we believe come from? Now, the majority of things we believe, not, not all of them, and there are a few kind of weird people in our midst who are the exceptions, but the majority of us in this room, what you believe comes from a combination of your experiences and your environment or your surroundings. So things in your life that you've experienced and the things and the ideas that people believed who were around you in your life. Now what's cool about this is the things that you believe could actually be things that the people in your environment believed or it could be the opposite. Have you ever said, I swear I'll never do it like this person, anybody? How about parenting? You all had the best parents in the world, I agree, right? But did you ever say, I'm never going to parent this way like my parents did it? I'm going to do it the opposite. But either way, you're learning from your parents. Does that make sense? Either way, you've learned everything you know about parenting from your parents. What to do, and guess what? What not to do, right? Who else would you learn it from? Now, I would love to assume that we've all just been, you know what, I'm going to learn how to Bible, how to parent from the Bible. When my child speaks back to me and they disarm me in the public, we shall stone them in the square. How many, how many of you done that? Oh, you didn't read your Bibles? Okay. Didn't think so, right? And so the majority of the things that we believe that come from our surroundings, our environment, from our experiences, right? Now, now this is not a bad thing, but it's something that we have to acknowledge, something we have to know. If I grew up in Iran, spent my entire life in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, what are the odds of me being a Christian today? I mean, believing in Jesus, the Messiah, this Jew who was sent from the cosmos to save the entire world. What are the odds of this? Smaller, right? A little bit smaller, right? If I grew up in Russia, what are the odds that I would be a born-again Pentecostal, tongue-speaking 
Bible-swinging preacher. Be a lot smaller. Because my environment affects me. My experiences affect me. Now, if I was born in the South, what are the odds that I like sweet tea, fried chicken, football? They're much higher. You talk to someone who grew up up North, you ask them about tea, they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that tea's great. And you say, yeah, sweet tea. They go, what? Sweet tea, what are you talking about? Our experiences shape us. Our environment shape us. Now, just because we believe something, does that make it true? Does anyone know? Just because Rachel believes that my kiss is going to heal her thumb, does that make it reality? Is it real? Is it true? To her it might be, right? He's flying right now in space. Is it true? At the same time, because something is true doesn't mean I believe it. How about this? How many of you have been told that you need to eat less and move more? (laughs) Anybody? Now, there's a part somewhere where it kind of connects. Yeah, that makes sense. But sometimes we need an experience to make that reality really hit home. Right? For me, often when it comes to, uh, to, to exercising, I always know... I need to exercise. I need to not eat at midnight. That's a bad idea. But I will not make a change until I have an experience, right? I've shared a lot about the first experience, about the second year of our marriage. I walked into the bathroom and happened to notice something hanging over. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) My brain had known for years I need to exercise, need to eat less. But an experience, aha, I need to make a change. I'm not attacking you, Joey. <laughs> Experience is one of the things. And so this morning, the, the title this morning is, Who is Really Our Teacher? See, I wish that it worked this way. I wished that we could take the Scriptures, we could read them, put it down, walk away, and fully believe them and live them out 100%. I wish this is how it worked. Got it. Done. That's how I'm going to live today. They say that by the age of your early 20s, we use 21 because it's kind of a memorable year. They say that by the age 21, your personality is almost fully formed. Think about that. Your opinions and worldviews are almost fully formed. Meaning, how you think about a thing now, right, the odds are that it hasn't changed unless you've had an experience that's challenged the way you used to think when you were 21. I used to have a very interesting way that I believed that that marriage was going to be when I was 21. Do you think I believe the same thing now? Why do you think that happened? (laughs) Because I'm married. (laughs) I know it is false. My 21-year-old self was an idiot. He didn't know what he's talking about. He hadn't been there yet, right? If you want to get me back, you have to preach. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. 
My experience have shaped me to understand that maybe the way I used to believe marriage was or should be or how I should be in it, maybe that wasn't reality. Would you like to know when most parents read parenting books? Is it before they have children? No. Is it when the the kids are young? The most common time a parent will grab a parenting book, guess what? It's when things are going wrong. When they can't potty train the child. When the child won't go to sleep and it should be sleeping, right? When the teenager should be listening to you, but they do the opposite of everything you say. And everything's going wrong. The only, the most common time a parent will learn how to parent is when they have experienced that their belief about how they should parent was wrong. Now, here's the scariest part of all this. By the time that you are in your, your, you know, your early 20s, everything's cemented, how you see the world. The odds are is how you voted in your, you know, the first election is the way that you're going to vote today. Now, there are always exceptions. So the odds say. The scariest part of all this is a thing that we call confirmation bias. I don't time to break it all open, but there's an evolutionary way that your brain has a tendency to need to conserve information. And so it will always first try to take information or experience and try to make it fit what you already believe. Now, I won't lie to you, I've been very depressed this whole week. I am not sure if we've ever lived in a time in our country, in modern history, where we have less hope than we have right now. Because there is an inability for people to learn, to listen, or to disagree. It's impossible. Facts do not change people's opinions. I could bring you a stack of papers that tells you that you should not vote for this one person. Is it going to change your mind? Absolutely not. I could go to the other group of people, bring a different stack of reasons to vote for a different person. Is it going to change their mind? If there's a Pastor Zach in the room, yes, it would change that guy's mind. But the rest of us, no. Because thoughts and ideas and beliefs are not moved by other thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. The head is not moved by the head. That's one of the most frustrating things about it. You don't believe, well, I'll say this, you don't remember any of the sermons from the last 24,000 minutes you've heard sermons because they haven't changed the way that you believe about God. They haven't changed it. The only thing that will change the way you believe about God is experience. Now, typically in churches, we experience this on the negative side of it. The reason Grace Church is such a beautiful church, the reason I've given my life to build this church, is because we are a church that exists when someone's experiences begin to blow up their world and their life. When they experience pain, they realize maybe... I was told that God would always do this. I was told that God would always heal, that God loved me. And if God loves me, then why did this happen to me? This is the most common reason people leave the faith. They experience something that doesn't line up with what they believe about God. And when one domino falls, every domino falls. The odds of someone who has a belief about God broken, staying a Christian is very slim. Because once the one domino falls, the rest will fall. This happens to be one of the primary reasons that Grace Church exists. 
to be that place when people's dominoes begin to fall, to show them it's, it's okay that that domino fell. You can always rebuild. But here's the one reality in all this that I need us to hit home this morning. We're going to have a series of weeks where I'm going to... Who likes to learn through, through touching things, like hands-on learning? Who likes that? That's not me. I hate hands-on learning. Well, this series is going to be for you, all right? Every Sunday besides this one, we're going to do hands-on learning. We're going to experience things. Now, I like to learn through words and speaking. That's why I speak and preach, right? I love it. I think it's a blast. But most of you don't, right? Because... What did I preach about a month ago? Anybody? That's what I thought. Got it. Okay. Don't take the cheap way out. Specifically, what did I preach about? Come on. Jesus. Advent. Yeah, you're all a bunch of cheaters. Christmas. The manger, probably, right? And so it's going to be a series of weeks of experiential learning. It's been said often that we want to be spiritual people, not religious people. But I want you to understand this. Every single human being is religious. You can't help it. It's in your very nature. Every person who thinks they're spiritual, it, they might be spiritual, but they're only spiritual because they're religious. Religion is a sequence of practices and behaviors that build belief. That's all that it is. I used to be in a circle where we used to pride ourselves. We're not religious at all. But every time we come in a building, we're going to play songs. We're going to raise our hands. We're going to dance. We're going to speak in tongues. That's not religion. It's not a sequence of activities that reinforce beliefs. See, we have to have a way to get there. If we can't help the fact that our human nature is always cemented, we're always trying to stay the same, from our 21-year-old self. I don't know like, if you liked your 21-year-old self, but my 21-year-old self was not the wisest, most educated, best human being I've ever met. I don't know about you. Anybody? The, the 21-year-old Devin Walker was okay. But, I mean, that's about it, right? I don't want to be that person my whole life. I've been set up to have this, this, this journey with the God of the universe. I'm supposed to have this connection and supposed to have a purpose and a, a, a meaning to my life. I would like to grow into that. How do I get there? How do I keep myself from not staying this cocoon? The reason we don't remember any of the sermons from the last 24,000 minutes is because we are always fighting growth. Everyone in the room, including myself, you are hardwired to fight growing and learning. How does that feel? So the passage that we started with this morning is beautiful. I love it. Do you guys like it? And to be very careful not to build steps to the altar, or else your nakedness might show. They weren't wearing, you know, they didn't wear Hanes back then, guys. I'm just going to explain it to you, okay? When you went up the stairs, there was a problem. Does that make sense? There you go. It's a very practical book, the Bible. Now, the reason that I wanted to read that passage is because that passage follows the Ten Commandments being handed down. What's crazy about it is it's the first passage that starts a long sequence of rules and regulations. It's what most of you think about when you think about the Old Testament. Here's how we burn things. Here's the things we don't do. Here's what we eat. Here's how we dress. Here's how we wash. Here's what happens when you go to the bathroom. Here's, here's the hand that you use to wipe your butt with. Bible's awesome, guys. You need to read it. 
And so the question is, why is all that important? Why does God give us this long list? Why does it matter if we make the altar out of dirt or out of gold or out of silver? Why does it matter how we burn the goat? Why are we burning goats in the first place? Because when dad kisses my knee, it makes it all better, right? That's why. What I love about the Old Testament specifically is it takes us back to one of the most foundational realities. Is that even though the people of God have been set free, even though they've been set free into a, a whole new world of experience and joy and fullness and peace, human nature is to always fight growth. Human nature is to always stay the same, to stay stagnant. If all you've ever known as an Israelite is slavery in, in Egypt, if all that your father knew and your grandfather and the one before that and before that, if all you'd ever been taught was that tea is never sweet. Then what do you do when someone offers you sweet tea? Oh no, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm fine. With coffee, it happens all the time. Oh, I don't drink coffee. Yeah, because you're not alive. That's why. <laughs> you need to expand your life. No. What happens if all you've ever known is this tiny box that you've been locked into your entire life? How do you ever go beyond it? And so God speaks to them and says, hey, you're all free. And they go, yeah. It's a great sermon from Pastor Devin this morning. I loved it. It was awesome. And then a month later, I forgot what he talked about a month ago. I forgot. <laughs> and see, all of these how you bathe and how you dress and how you eat and build the altar, how you burn the goat, and do you have steps or no steps? All of this has a purpose because these people had to experience. I love that it actually beeps at me now when I go over time. I'm sorry, I'm in trouble. When we. <laughs> and so, what happens for us is this is that you can't get slavery out of someone. You can't get someone out of the box that they've been used to their entire lives overnight. Just because I tell you what to think about God doesn't mean that you can just absorb it into your life. Human beings, we need to experience a thing, and then we build a story around it, meaning ideas around it. And the hardest thing about this thing with God is that we have to allow ourselves to experience these new realities. You have a God who has promised you this amazing life of experiencing God, this future beyond death. But most of us are still stuck in this tiny little box. And the only way for us to, to begin to encounter God is to begin to experience God. I wish I could teach you all the way into experiencing everything that God had for you. It would make it easier on me. Just do sermons. We can do sermons. But the truth is this. Everyone in this room is missing out on God right now. You've experienced God in your life. You've experienced some of God. You know a little bit about God, including myself. But there is so much that we're missing right now that we have no idea what's out there. And the only way to begin that is through experience. Would you guys stand with me this morning? So we're going to end this morning with uh, 
communion, the Lord's table. I think it's very fitting. This, of course, is one of those very things, right? If you grew up in a church that did not do this, that did not partake, then you don't understand the, the importance. There's still people in the room right now, including myself, sometimes where we still don't see the value of this. Oh, it's just bread, it's just juice. I've been so discouraged this week because I realize that the only thing I really want to do as a pastor is to help you grow, to not miss out on anything of God. This sacred book, the Bible, that we all said that we believe in, we have hardly even tapped it. We hardly know anything in it. We're just starting. This God of the cosmos that we all say that we worship, we hardly even know this God. We've hardly even experienced these tiny little bits. I had a huge gift. I grew up charismatic. It had all sorts of downsides to it, but one of the amazing gifts it had was it taught me that experience mattered. That being in a moment where my body, my mind, and my emotions were carried away, it mattered. It affected me. And oddly, what I learned afterwards was that this is the, the very same concept hidden here. And there are ways that we've been given by God to just slowly begin to experience things with God that begin to blow our, our minds, begin to break these small little beliefs that we have about God, to allow us to grow into bigger, healthier, robust beliefs about God. He's so much more than we know. So Father, we just begin this, this time with you and we, in something as simple as bread and juice, we ask that this experience would open us, us, open us up into a new experience. We would experience more of God in a deeper way. That you would change us and transform us, that we would not leave the same. 